If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, the government, hug the government, love the government, hug the government, love the government. Welcome to The Politics Guys, the place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I am joined again for this midweek supporters exclusive show with you, Ken. Ken, how are things going? Oh, it's so great to be back, Trey. It's great to have you back. Yeah, it is. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the most big, one of the biggest disappointments uh, that I kind of faced was we had just started doing what I thought was this really good idea from one of our executive producers, which was, why don't you guys, originally the thought was, we're just going to read through the Constitution. But that didn't seem like enough to me, right? And so as we talked about it more in our groups, uh, we thought, hey, why don't we actually kind of analyze the Constitution as we go along? And since obviously you're a, a law scholar uh, and I'm adjacent to law, uh, I actually, I, as a matter of fact, I do teach a, a, a con law class at the undergraduate level. You know, we, we thought, okay, this would be the way to go through. So, of course, then, you know, Mike gets to have all the fun last time. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get to be a part of that. So I think what we're going to do, uh, uh, Ken, is is we're going to kind of approach this in the way that you've even said that you've approached it with your students, although maybe not your first uh, 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 way of doing it, is we're going to kind of zip a little bit forward. You get, we've been working in Article 1, but we're going to kind of start with the end of Article 1 First, which is art, uh, at the end of Article One, Section Eight, uh, which is the necessary and proper clause, so that we can then come back and either in this episode or probably even more likely uh, in future episodes, get through some of those really important powers. So, for example, uh, you know, credit. You guys have already uh, talked about commerce, but we'll get to those. But, but. But Ken, this last phrase in Article One, Section Eight, we're kind of going to do what we we've done uh, in the past, um, which is just kind of read this and then have some conversations about it. But it says this, and it's a really, really important one. It says, uh, "Quote to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof, end quote. And what really makes this a big deal is, is in part, there are kind of, there's, well, four major kinds of powers that come out of the Constitution, but the, the two major ones that come out of Article I, Section 8, uh, kind of broadly constituted, or you have your enumerated powers, or that list of powers, for example, to regulate commerce with foreign nations, as, uh, as Ken, you and Mike were talking about 
uh, last time. But then you then have what we have as being uh, in, uh, not enumerated powers. You have the implied powers, which come from the necessary and proper clause. And, and this is actually a huge amount of debate about this early in, in constitutional history. This is, this is the first constitutional issue uh, in many ways, and it is definitely happening while the ink is still wet. Uh, uh, on the paper, because you kind of have two groups. On the one hand, you have Thomas Jefferson and others who want a real strict direction of what the necessary and proper clause is going to be. Uh, and, and then you have another group uh, who uh, kind of center around Alexander Hamilton, who we sometimes think of as being a broad construction, who wanted to be able to read a lot of potential powers in here. As a matter of fact, one of the, uh, the earliest of these, as I was hinting, is this question of the national bank, which kind of corresponds with a number of those enumerated powers uh, and eventually uh, culminates in McCullough v. Maryland. So, so Ken, what, what are the important elements of the necessary and proper clause? Yeah, well, it's it's a bit of a sphinx. It's a bit of a mystery because the 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 structure, the, the basic structure of, of the, the framers' design for, for Congress was – that you use the phrase enumerated powers, and that's exactly it. They they made a list of powers that Congress has, and the idea was that the, this would be a limited government um, because we already had state governments. So state governments are governments of general jurisdiction. They can basically legislate on any subject. And the idea was that if we're overlaying a, a United States government on top of that, the United States government would only be able to legislate on certain subjects. Um, you know, and on subjects where there was concurrent jurisdiction, things that the United States government could legislate on and things and states also could legislate on, um, then under the supremacy clause, federal law would be supreme. Federal law would trump. But correspondingly, there'd be um, a lot of areas that state laws could legislate on that didn't fall within Congress's enumerated powers. And so states would therefore be supreme in those areas because they would be the only competent legislature in those areas. So the, the big structure here is that there's only certain things that Congress is allowed to legislate about, and those things are listed on a list. And so most of Article One, Section 8 um, is the list. It just gives us the list of things that Congress can do. It can, it can regulate interstate commerce. It can make intellectual property law. It can make immigration law. It can make uh, bankruptcy law. It can, it can make uh, an army. You know, and there's this long list there. But then when we get to the end of the list, again, where the, the structure is supposed to be, these are the things that Congress can do, and it can't do anything else unless it's on the list. Um, well, the last thing on the list is that, Congress can make all laws which are necessary and proper for carrying into execution <laughs> all the other laws. Uh, and, and in fact, not only just all the other laws, but Congress can even make all laws which are necessary and proper for, for, for carrying into execution other powers that are vested in the other departments, in the, you know, in the executive branch and the judicial branch, you know, not just the powers that are vested in the, in the, in the, in the Congress. And so, so it's, it's, it's sort of, in a way, it, it threatens to undermine the whole structure, right? You know, you have a structure where you say Congress can only pass laws about things that are on the list. Here's the list. 
the list is a lot of, you know, some of them are pretty big things like regulating commerce, but, you know, ultimately it's a list that, you know, is finite. Um, but then when you get to the end of the list, uh, you know, and, yeah, and everything else that's necessary and proper. And so, <laughs> well, and so that's a great question because, you know, one of the big areas we've talked about this in earlier shows, right? This was one of the areas where you have issues with the anti, well, what the federalists end up calling the anti federalists. They thought that this would get used too extensively. And so as a matter of fact, two of our men amendments are purportedly uh, to kind of maybe put some guardrails around the Sphinx, I don't yeah. know, you know, yeah. in the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, although it doesn't end up working out quite that way. That, you know, that, that's, that, that's one of the, the, the questions there, right? Right. I mean, in fact, the whole Bill of Rights, in a way, not just the Ninth and Tenth, because Madison um, was of the view that it was a bad idea to have a Bill of Rights because uh, Madison said, um, look, the, the way I've structured the Article 1, Section 8, um, there's only certain things that, that Congress can do, and it, it can't do the things that aren't on the list. So, for instance, Congress can't uh, abridge freedom of speech or free exercise of religion or, or anything like that because it doesn't have any enumerated power to regulate speech or to regulate religion. So it already can't do that. And, and Madison said, if, if, if we said that there's a list of things that Congress can't do, um, then people are going to start thinking, well, then Congress can do everything else. And so that would kind of, you know, undermine the idea of limited enumerated power. So he was he actually thought, you know, all of that would just um, create an unfortunate negative implication that Congress could do anything that's not prohibited. Um, but the anti-federalists did insist on a Bill of Rights. And as you point out, they especially insisted that it include a Ninth and Tenth Amendment. And the Ninth, the Ninth Amendment says that the um, enumeration in the rest of the Bill of Rights of, of certain rights shouldn't be taken to deny or disparage uh, other rights that are retained by the people. So they're sort of trying to remind us that we have a lot more rights besides the rights that are listed in the Bill of Rights. Um, but I guess they thought that it wasn't necessary to specify what those other rights were, because I think they thought the idea was, well, everything that Congress doesn't have an enumerated power to regulate um, are the things that are all of our other rights. Um, but that is kind of, you know, all of that is in great tension with this idea of having a necessary and proper clause. And uh, some of the framers were quite opposed to it. Jefferson really hated it. Um, he called it the sweeping clause, and he thought it basically undid all the work um, that, that the structure of limited enumerated powers did. Um, but the first really great interpretation of it from the court doesn't come until, as you said, the case of uh, McCulloch versus Maryland around 1819. And it's it's an early and still uh, highly influential case about uh, how to interpret the meaning of the necessary and proper clause. Yeah, and, and, in it, fact, it, and yeah. not a little bit high. I mean, it, it has been cited over 6,000 times yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact. Now, but before we move forward, because we need to get in and chat about McCulloch, uh, but what I need to let everybody know is that at this point, though, we've actually reached the end of our uh, midweek uh, supporters exclusive preview. So if you want to get the rest of the show with myself and with Ken, well, it's going to be time for you to become a supporter. And we would love to have you uh, as a supporter. If you haven't already done it, 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 it's easy to do. What you're going to do is you're going to head to patreon.com slash politics, guys. Uh, or if you'd like, you can go to Venmo and we're at Politics Guys. You can also support us through PayPal and all of those different uh, ways of supporting the show are in politicsguys.com slash support. So again, if you want to uh, continue along in this, uh, you know, the preview's over, but we'd love to have you for the sh full show, head to politicsguys.com slash support and get this right now so that you can finish it. Not only that, but you can finish it without me talking about ads, which is uh, also wonderful. 
Now, again, uh, if you're not in a position to support the show, but you're, uh, you know, you, you've, you've been wet and you want to know a little bit more of wetting your whistle a little bit, all you got to do is reach out to Mike at MikeAtPoliticsGuys.com and let him know, and we'll get you uh, set up with the full show. So again, there's a lot of other really cool things you get. This isn't the only thing you get. It's one of the things you get. Uh, you get access to Discord groups. You get the uh, different levels of benefits and gear. But again, head to politicsguys.com slash support for all of that. If you've got any kinds of questions, you can always send them to us at mail at politicsguys. Otherwise, I'm just here to remind you that the executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. I hope you'll get that the full episode by heading to politicsguys.com slash support.